Welcome to It's All Her, the podcast for women who want to live simpler, better lives. I'm your host, Geordie Lucas. I'm the founder and editor of It's All Her. I'm a mum to a toddler and I was an actor in a previous life. Each week, I'm joined by a guest to talk about their life, their work, and of course, how they make life simpler and better. For the latest, head to itsallher.com or follow us on socials. Let's get to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Behind Her Brand. This week, I sit down with Natasha, who's leveraged her years of knowledge and experience in the fashion industry to launch her own label, Pitra. We sat down to talk about how to crack it in the industry and the realities of being an ethical and inclusive startup with limited budget. Here's my chat with Natasha from Pitra. Tell us a little bit about your label and perhaps the inspiration behind the venture. Yep. Um, So my label is Pitra, which is my maiden name. Um, And I've actually had it on the side for many years um, while still working in the fashion industry for other brands. And and, um, initially I, so I'm originally from Melbourne and I moved to Sydney to try and get into fashion magazines. So I was interning at New Idea magazine. Wow. Um, But I also studied at um, FBI Fashion College in Glebe. So that's where I was doing my training in the industry. Um, And I hadn't started a brand then. I was kind of searching for what I really wanted to do, but I knew it was fashion. Yeah. Um, And I landed my first job in um, a small menswear tailoring company in Sydney. Um, So that's where I started to learn, I guess, the skills of tailoring and suiting, which is um, a part of what I'm starting to do now, and shirting. Um, and so yeah, I was doing those kinds of things, working for other people, um, and gaining those skills, um, to eventually do my own thing one day. Um, but also on the side, I started Pitra in 2015. Um, I started to make, I made myself, I made a collection, sorry. Um, and I showcased at Raw Artists in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when it kind of started. So I, I was making dresses for friends, family, friends, um, we're going out and I would be sewing up a little dress on a Saturday night for my best friend and then yeah. we'd go out. So it was kind of, that's how it kind of started. Um, but then I was also working full time in the industry for other brands. Like, um, I worked for Scammon and Theodore, uh, Nicholas, the label, um, Husk, Misha wow. Collection. So I've been high end. Yes. Yeah, so I've been in high end. Um, and I never started the brand fully, um, until this year because I was always working for someone. Yeah. Um, so obviously respecting that. Um, so yeah, so this year I've taken the plunge and I quit my full-time job from last year, which was for a very popular activewear brand mm-hmm. um, for six years. And I decided, yep, it's my time now, especially after um, the pandemic and going yeah. through that. Um, I realized that it's my turn now to focus on what I've always wanted to do. Mm. How important would you say those training years within the fashion industry are? How much experience do you think you need within the industry before you actually do take the jump? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think it is very beneficial to have the experience. Um, In terms of years, I mean, it just depends really, but it's good to have at least four or five years under your belt 
so you understand the nature of fabrics, the nature of production. You know, I meet, especially in my past, I've met a lot of designers that don't always understand that and it can be very detrimental to your business because you can actually waste a lot of money there if you're not understanding how to actually use the fabrication patterns, zero wastage, which is also like using less fabric to be more sustainable as well. Mm. So like I think um, it's very beneficial for your business to know that those kinds of things. Mm. Um, and especially when dealing with factories, um, I deal with offshore and local. And so I have to deal with people that don't speak English as their first language compared to ones that do here. But then you still have that community here as well. So you just need to be able to make sure that you know what you're talking about because you can be easily, like I said, not tricked, but just, um, how do I say this? You could be easily um, deferred into a, a, a different way of doing things that might cost you more. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a business owner on this podcast a few weeks ago and she mentioned as well the communication with offshore manufacturers and she said one of her biggest pieces of advice was to over communicate when it comes to descriptions what would be your advice for designers or anybody working with offshore being more visual less Mm. words yeah like actually showing more sketching more um yeah more graphs of showing them how things are done or how you want them done using a lot of images so when i do um make things offshore um i do a tech pack obviously a specification pack and i make sure that i have a page with all my inspo pictures of how i want the dress to flow what trim i want it to look like um and like i've always learned from all my other jobs as well less is more so like writing a whole essay of an email to them will not work because they go through each line and they try to translate it in their language so I think just less is more mm. and just giving the exact um, the the exact kind of communication that you want to give to them but not over like for instance I want to do a 100% silk cami dress mm. I'm not like I'm going to write it in two sentences I'm not going to write it yeah. in a big paragraph because sometimes it doesn't get communicated as yeah. well so that's what I've learned have you ever had something arrive and you've thought oh my god this is not what I yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have yeah yeah in the past yeah. and how how do you rectify that um well because I sew yeah so um a lot of the times I actually get like Calico and do a twile at home mm-hmm. um or in the studio and um I did get a dress once that was totally not what I wanted. So what I did was I unpicked it and kind of fixed it myself okay. and then sent photos of that. Um, that was pre-kids. Mm-hmm. Now having kids, I have a very strict timeline. <laughs> so now it's images. Um, and I also um, have downloaded like applications on my phone where you can have like like Viber and WeChat and stuff like yeah. that. We can actually talk to the merchandiser. That helps as well. Yeah. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is sending images and pictures. Cause mm. You can. It doesn't matter what language you speak. A picture yeah. says the exactly right words what you, you need. Want. Exactly. Yeah. What would be a part of your job as a label owner that might surprise people? That's a very good question. <laughs> um. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, all the social media posts, um, sales, you know, last week I was on the phone with many boutiques trying to get my label in their boutiques and it's actually a very 
I think, hard part of the job. Mm. Because when you're a one-man band, <laughs> brand, <Yeah. laughs> you pretty much have to do everything. Um, so, yeah, like everything from social media, um, packing the parcel to send it to the customer. Yeah. Obviously, I have to do that. There's no one to do that. What goes into pitching to boutiques? Do you usually have a kit that you would send them or would you go in there and show them samples? What's that process? Um, so I so I did it myself. I created mm-hmm. a lookbook. So obviously after photo shoot, I um, go into Illustrator and I pretty much make a digital lookbook with um, photographs of each design, description, fabrication, size, retail and wholesale price, um, production lead times, as mm-hmm. some of the garments I do are made in Australia. So I... Um, try and be sustainable and not make a full run. So mm-hmm. it might be a six to eight week production lead time, depending on which style it is. Um, so I give all that information into the lookbook mm-hmm. um, and then I attach it to my email and try and write a sales pitch to get in there. Um, a few of them haven't answered, so I call. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, they are the, that is the part of making this brand that has been a challenge both personally and professionally because you really are putting yourself out there and you don't know what the other person is going to say or, you know, or like how many rejections you'll get before you get one. Um, But I have had some good feedback and um, I did end up getting into a boutique in Essendon that way and ended up going there with my samples. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, pretty much I started off off digitally and then um, once I can get in touch with them, I try and get in there physically to show them the Mm -hmm. samples. Do you find it's difficult to put a price on your work? I've always found when I'm working for other people or pitching on behalf of someone else, I find it quite easy to state their worth with a with a monetary value, whereas it's difficult to do that with my own services. Do yeah. you struggle yes. with that as well? Yeah, no, I do. And it's really hard because I'm I'm kind of pitching myself at that designer label, not all the way high end, but not also too commercial where I'm you know, in the local shopping centre. Mm. So it is harder because you're at that price point where a lot of people and customers pay that price for a brand they know, Yeah. you know. So when you know and you hear a name like Camilla and Mark, you know that that's Camilla and Mark and you'll pay that, that, that suit premium. $800. Yeah. But when you hear someone like me who you've never met before or heard of, it's really hard to get someone to actually pay that price. So I think that is probably... The most difficult yeah. point, yeah. But I guess through through marketing and and branding and and meeting people like yourself and mm. trying to get out there a bit, um, hopefully that kind of turns it around. Obviously, we will have pictures on our socials and we'll yeah. have links to your socials in our show notes. Yeah. But for those listening, how would you describe the label? How would you describe the look? Um, I would say that. They are mostly timeless designs to really um, empower every woman, and that's what I try and stick to. I want women to wear my designs and feel good in them. Um, And obviously, I always say this, it's the woman that makes the dress or the shirt, Mm. but I want it to really, um, really connect with the woman wearing it that, you know, she feels good, obviously using natural fibres like silks and cottons, just to really, um, yeah, evoke that feeling of empowerment as a woman, no matter who you are, what you do, where you work, that yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah. There's been a huge shift to eco-friendly fashion yep. and slower 
fashion, but there's also been a huge movement online specifically, I guess, to inclusive fashion. How important is that to you? And I guess, how have you noted that as a designer over time? Um, Look, it is really important to me to make sure that I try and be as sustainable as possible. I use that phrase very lightly because if we do delve into that subject, we are still at a point in time where the world is not 100% sustainable, Mm. no matter what you do. And that's why I try and be be careful how I say things. Um, But when I say try to be sustainable, so I try to use all the fabrics I've bought, try to not have too much offcuts because, you know, Mm. they're the things that put waste into our world and then obviously you know I have um, gone down the road of looking at more organic fabrics um, currently sourcing organic cottons from Japan so just trying to like use things that are using less pesticides as cotton does use a lot of pesticides to make it Um, but also yeah I'm, I'm I've come from a very traditional fashion background so when I was starting out these things won't talked about um, and I've learnt it along the way so it is important for me to continue that because it is you know it is a thing now and we're all trying to make a better world yeah how difficult is it to strike the balance between being size inclusive I mean obviously as a startup you're not going to have the budget to run size 6 to 26 how do you try and strike that balance yes so for instance so um with the shirt i'm wearing i've done two sizes one's a small medium and one's a medium large Mm -hmm. and you and because it's an oversized fit you can get away with a size eight yeah to a 12 because i'm usually a 12 i'm wearing the small today so like i try and do like oversized shirting same with my silk styles as well so that i can try and include as much sizes as i can but you are right it is hard as a startup to facilitate you know a size 6 to 16 or 18 so I try but then there's other styles where I have more fitted dresses Mm. more for like evening um, and they range from at the moment a small to large so Mm. it's like an 8 or 10 to about 12 or 14 I'd like to make it bigger as I get bigger yeah but I'm yet it's that is a very hard point to kind of Balance, And I feel like it's very easy for people to sit online on social media and be critical of labels. Yes. When everyone's got to start Correct. somewhere, yeah. not yeah. every label is going to have the budget to be Correct. inclusive straight away. Yeah. Yeah. It is a process, isn't Correct. it? Correct, yeah. But mm. I try to, I'm going off my own experience working for other brands. And, you know, the average Australian size, I think, is a 14 yeah women's size so like and then when I look at what sold the most where where I worked previously it was always a size 10 to 14 so I'm trying to start there first and then later on try and cater for the other sizes yeah um but yeah you are right people do become a bit critical of it and it's not because we sit there and say I just want to design for a thin woman or a big woman or whatever yeah it's not that at all it's that we're we're trying to design for what we can sell Mm. and get the revenue back so that we can further expand our size range definitely Pitra was recently featured in Melbourne Fashion Festival tell me about that experience and what that meant to you oh that was so fun um so yeah we oh we were um featured in Fashion Week at um Aaron Katona's um show so he he's a women's wear couture designer and he invited me um to come to add to his show um it meant the world to me because 
yeah, like I said, um, pre before this year, I um, obviously had a second child, and before that, we were in a pandemic, so mm. it was always like, do I do it? Do I just leave it? You know. Yeah. So when I got invited, I was like, no, nah, this is it. I'm going. Um, and it was an amazing experience. I met a lot of different people. I met people that I've seen, like bloggers and stuff online. Um, and it was really good to socialize and meet these different people that I could put my brand out there with. Um, and yeah, it was just amazing to see it on, on the runway. Um, I was backstage, <laughs> so I was trying to see like what was yeah. going on, but I was too busy trying to make sure that the models were dressed correctly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it meant the world to me and it, it got me definitely, um, a lot more exposure yeah um, and kind of gave me a little bit of a boost yeah yeah so at it's all her we're all about making life simpler and better for women as a mum a business owner of a startup and you're still trying to get your business out there how do you make your life simpler and better at the moment I, I know a lot of mums can relate to this um, I have started to just lean on whatever help I can get mm. and not feel guilty about it. And I think that's helping me at the moment. Like if I need to go to an appointment or I need to do something, you know, if I need my mum's help or friend or childcare, whatever, I don't, I'm trying not to feel guilty about it anymore and just get as much help as I can. Yeah. It's the only way I'm going to get through it. Um, and it's the only way to give my time to this, to yeah. make it grow. So um, that's probably the biggest thing being obviously a mum of young kids, yeah. um, is to just let go of that guilt and just mm. do it because, you know, if you don't do it now, when are you? Exactly. So i do it. <laughs> no one ever questions the men if they feel guilty about going to work every day. No, it's they always don't. the mum and it's such a frustrating... <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, it is, you know. And I actually I experienced that going back to work in the industry. Mm. So that's another reason why I chose to work for myself. Yeah. Um, because... With all due respect, I'd rather put in the long yards, the sleepless nights for my own business than someone else. And, you know, that's what I was doing previously. And I, I had other colleagues question my ability as a mother because I'm going to work. And it's like, no, no. I'm actually doing this for them. Sorry to change the subject. But no, it's... <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I, I want people to know that about me it does connect to my brand because I am about that. I am mm. for all women. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, you know, to, to be able to design clothing for that type of woman makes me feel good. And what an amazing thing for your kids when they're older and can grasp it yeah. to know that mum went out there and chased her dreams. Correct. Exactly. I think that's really important. Yeah. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us on Behind Her Brand this week. Of course, everything will be in the show notes, all the links to Petra. All the best with the label. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Behind Her Brand by It's All Her. If you have loved this episode, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen and I'll be back in your ears very soon. <laughs>